Hello and welcome to History Pop Podcast, where we are going to be talking about history, fictional, fictionalized, or otherwise. My name is Courtney, and I am your host, and I am so glad you are here today to join me on this journey to talk about The Rose of Versailles, which is a manga and anime series from the 1970s and early 1980s, which explores the lead-up to the French Revolution. Stay tuned, and we'll get started. Oh, and welcome back. Glad you stuck around. That theme music is actually the uh, opening theme for the Rose of Versailles animated series. And you can kind of tell it's got that uh, 1970s flair for anime theme music. It reminds me a lot actually of the original Gundam theme. Uh, but anyway, so I figured to give you a little bit of context for what we're going to be talking about in terms of how the French Revolution, how the lead up to the French Revolution, how the character especially of Marie Antoinette is represented in the Rose of Versailles, that it would be really appropriate to be able to give you a little bit of background on the legit history behind the Rose of Versailles series. So the French Revolution is one of those epic-making events, quite literally if you talk to historians. Historians like to put things into nice, neat little boxes. Not all the time, but sometimes. Uh, we understand that history is messy and complicated, but to be able to communicate the nuances of history to people who don't study it as in-depth or not steeped in it, like historians are, one of the things that we do is to use periodization, which means to break history up into small manageable chunks. And we try to do that based off of uh, specific themes or events or other sort of natural ending points, kind of turning history into a narrative or a story that you would find in a fiction novel to be able to have logical beginning and ending points. So the French Revolution is one of those fixed points in time, a wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey sort of stuff that uh, literally separates the early modern period from the modern. And... What I mean by that is that the early modern and modern are two of those sort of epics or periods that historians use to break up time. 1789 is a pivotal year because of the French Revolution. And it was actually only one of three major revolutions in the late 18th century. Uh, the first was actually the American Revolution, which you might be familiar with, with the... Uh, American colonies breaking away from the British Empire, which I hope actually to cover in another series. Uh, so the, the U.S. Uh, Revolution was 1765 to 1783, started off with the no taxation without representation and ended up with the Treaty of Paris, which was the formal recognition that United States of America was a legit country on its own, and not just part of England. The French Revolution came next and lasted for about 10 years from 1789 to 1799. So the Haitian Revolution lasted uh, from 1791 to 1804, so it did actually run concurrently with the French Revolution. And the Haitian Revolution 
was uh, one in which one of the end results was Haiti being able to become its own country instead of being a colony of France. So back to the French Revolution, though, 1789 to 1799. So this is a long time ago. Uh, and it starts off with the calling of the Estates General, which is kind of a parliament or house of representatives. Uh, it's a representative body of elected members who come together to give recommendations to the king on laws and things like that. Uh, the king actually requested the most notable persons. Now, I don't know why I did that with an English accent, but that's okay. Uh, except it's really huge in terms of how many people are in this body. Uh, so the Estates General is brought together of three different estates. Uh, and that is how French society was divided up before the French Revolution. The first estate is the clergy. Uh, so priests, bishops, etc., etc., people who work in the church. The second estate is the nobility. Uh, you know, of course, those people, the dukes and whatnot. And then the third estate is basically everyone else, or about at least 95 to 99% of the population. Now, the first estate, the clergy, uh, had 303 representatives at this estate's general. Uh, the nobility had 282. Now, being 95% of the population, you'd expect the third estate to have many, 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 more people to represent them. And they did have substantially more than the first or second estates combined, clocking in at 578. But that still was not actually representative of the actual population differences between the first, second, and third states. But anywho, the reason why the Estates General was called was because they needed to deal with crushing taxes that were shouldered basically by the third estate. The church didn't have to pay taxes to the king. The nobility could choose to pay taxes to the king, but if you could choose to pay taxes, why would you? And so the third estate were the ones who were bearing the brunt of it all to be able to pay for the function of the government, of the military, to enforce laws, to pay for foreign wars, which was actually one of the reasons why there was uh, economic hardship leading up to the French Revolution, because the French had just gotten out of a war for themselves and also helping in another war. Uh, They were a participant in the Seven Years' War, which was 1756 to 1763, and that was the first truly global world war. So that depleted the treasury. And then they also decided that they really wanted to piss off the English and help the American colonies during the American Revolution, which also was a drain on the finances. So the first and second estates weren't willing to shoulder any more taxes, and the third estate uh, decided then that because the first and second estates weren't really going to be very helpful to them, that they were going to have their own meeting. They, of course, invited the first and second estates because you can't not invite the nobility or the godly churchy people. Uh, 
and actually a few of them did show up to this meeting, but they wanted to get stuff done and get things moving. And so this meeting then became the what was called the National Assembly. So they decided that it was not going to be divided by estates. It was just going to be of the people, by the people, for the people. Um, so the king, Louis, tried to shut this down by saying, oh, hey, the building that you're going to meet in, that, that, that needs some repairs. So just for your own safety, I can't let you get in there. And so uh, the National Assembly then decided to go ahead and meet at a tennis court because they needed some sort of other indoor venue that was large enough to house them because of the weather. And so the lucky place was a tennis court. And at this uh, tennis court, you may remember from schooling that there was an oath that was said that basically was uh, that they were not to separate and they were to reassemble wherever circumstances required until the constitution of the kingdom was established. So basically, they weren't going to stop until they were able to enact a constitutional monarchy within France, which uh, would mirror what had been going on in Great Britain since at least the reign of the Stuarts. The late Stuarts, not the early Stuarts. Uh, after this tennis court oath, though, there was a lot of tension with, between uh, the king, the crown, and the people. Which then led to the storming of the Bastille, which is usually kind of that beginning point where we say the French Revolution really began. And that was July 14th, 1789. So this is when the French Revolution goes full on violence. Uh, people were anxious because they didn't know if their movement was going to be put down by the crown. And the king was gathering troops from far-flung outposts and bringing them into Paris. Uh, and so... One of the major sparks for the storming of the Bastille was obviously fear of uh, the king's retribution, and then also the dismissal of a man named Jacques Necker, who was a finance advisor to the crown. Now, he'd worked for Louis for a while um, and been fired before. Um, he had uh, been fired, actually, after he made the government's budget public in 1781, which was a no-no. Um, but... Dealing with the depleted treasury and the burden of taxes that had been happening, like I just described, about after the Seven Years' War and aiding in the American Revolution, he had been recalled because things still were not going well, and he was tasked to help make things better again. Um, but he was fired again in 1789 because he had tried to get Louis, the king, to give up some of his powers and to institute a constitutional monarchy. Um, but instead of giving up his absolutist monarchist rights that had been the purview of the French monarchs, for a very long time, since at least Louis the Sun King back in the early 17th century. Um, a constitutional monarchy is one of the reasons, honestly, that the British crown is probably still around today. Um, but anyway, so Necker is fired in 1789, which led to more fear and anger toward Louis. And then this, with his gathering of troops, led to a crowd of Parisians storming into the Bastille. Now, the Bastille 
it was a medieval fortress in Paris, and it was built actually to defend against the English in the Hundred Years' War. It was started in 1357, and it became a state prison in 1417. Now, at the time of the storming of the Bastille in 1789, there were actually only seven prisoners there, but it had a good stock of gunpowder and weapons, and so it would be a very valuable thing to have on your side, whichever side that was. And it was also a symbol, too, of the monarchy's might and power within Paris. So it became a vicious fight between the crowd-turned-mob and the troops after the crowd had been whipped into a frenzy by Camille uh, Desmoulins, a journalist who uh, gave a rousing speech, and he compared Necker's firing with the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre, which uh, was in 1572, and it's when the government opened fire on Protestants and killed many people. It was a terrifying event, especially for people in England or, honestly, any Protestants uh, on the continent. Now, in the storming of the Bastille, around 100 people were killed, and the lion's share being the members of the crowd, not the trained troops. But the king pulled his troops from Paris afterward and made motions as if to join the revolutionaries, and then so began the French Revolution. So the Rose of Versailles begins years before, at the marriage of Marie Antoinette from Austria-Hungary to the Dauphin, Louis-Auguste in 1770 and it follows Marie Antoinette's trials and tribulations which we will cover in the next episode so stay tuned for more pops of history stay turned and let's work to be better every day till next time This has been written and performed by Courtney Herber. Intro and outro music written and performed by Jonathan Colton and used under a Creative Commons license. This has been a Turtle and